Oh, hey, good morning, everyone. Let's find our seats. Hey, Sammy, we're going to get started here soon. So welcome to the North Church. We are glad you're here. Thanks for coming. The first announcement, and perhaps one of the coolest ones we have, is that today at 6.30 p.m. is the All Churches Ice Cream Social thing. And we do have a slide for that. But that is today at 6.30 at Jack something. There we go. Nice. Yeah, so that's going to be a super cool event. And everyone who comes from this church will personally get a high five from Ezra, okay? Sitting right over there. Ezra and I will be there, and we will be looking for you guys, see who's there, and he will give a high five. He knows how to do that now. So, so please come to that. The details are there. If you have any questions about this event, you can ask Leslie or myself or other leaders in our church. But all of the churches, we have about five churches in our family of churches, will be there. So it's a great time to hang out, get to know people you don't know, or see people you haven't seen in a while that go to one of the other churches, and just get to have some good relational time, which we have not had with the other churches in a long time. So please be there. Either bring some ice cream. They said homemade ice cream, but I don't know if they expect that everybody has an ice cream maker. So if you don't, like I don't, then uh, can you make ice cream in a crock pot? Okay, all right. I'm not going to do that. Okay, sweet. Brad has one. Or you can bring toppings, okay, if you do not have the ability to, to make your own ice cream. So that is what to bring. And also bring, you know, fun and vibes, if you can, and energy. Good vibes only. The next thing is the women's hangout is also today, after church, at Mia's house. And Mia's house. Nice. Okay, cool. So if you need to know where that is, you can talk to Manny or Mia. Manny's right there. And there's going to be a BYO lunch, so grab some lunch after church, and then come do arts and crafts together, I believe, is the, is the word. I'm getting some nods. Awesome. You are invited. If you did not know about it until right now, you can still come. No, no previous RSVP required. The next thing is that Garvin is having an Amazon uh, list that, to help provide some, some supply, supplies for his classroom for this year. And so that's in the newsletter and on Facebook. And so check that out. There's some, even just some books. There's some like small kind of cheap things you can buy and then some bigger things too. But um, let's help provide some supplies for his classroom for this year. It's a really cool way to just help out tangibly. So, and then the next thing is the, this is a, uh, you, you, you saw this already if you looked at the newsletter, but save the date for the Denton North Church retreat that is happening on September 20, oh, sorry, October. Yeah. Save the right date. Okay. October 23rd and 24th. Details behind me. Yes. Awesome. Look at that view. That's a lot better view than we will have, but look at it. So it is going to be at Mount Lebanon. More details will come later, but right now, just put it on your calendar so that you don't plan something else. Normally, if you've been in our church family for a little while, normally around this time in October, we have a leadership like day training kind of uh, get together. We will not be having that. All the churches in our family of churches are doing their own retreats this year um, as a priority of just like relational time with each other has not been at an all-time high. And so that is why we're doing this. It'll be really cool. We've never done a, a retreat like this in Denton North. So this will be our first ever church retreat. And more, more, more details will come later, 
one important thing to note is that we will have some motel rooms. So it's not going to be just like, you know, a bunch of Denton North people stuffed into bunks and stuff. So, uh, and it'll be noon on the 23rd to noon on the 24th. Okay? So, and Mount Lebanon is not that far away. It's about an hour and some change. So cool. So we'll be announcing that every week until you're sick of it, and we'll get you more details later. And then the last thing is giving. So uh, if you'd like to give a one-time gift or set up a recurring gift, it's at DentonNorthChurch.com slash donate. It's also, it's not just for our church needs uh, in terms of like our room and space and, and stuff like that, but also for needs in our community that we hear about. And so um, that is the way we'll be doing the offering for now. It's super quick, super easy to do if you've never done it before. Um, you, you can do a one-time thing really quickly and also set up a nice nifty recurring gift. I'm going to pray for our service today and for the offering. Lord, thank you so much for this chance to meet together. Thank you for just the ability to come together and worship you, learn about you. And Lord, I just pray you'd soften our hearts toward our, our city. Help us just to uh, look at places where you're working and join in on what you're already doing, God. Lord, I just pray that you'd give us a, a, a heart to love your people like you love them. And God, I just pray that you'd help uh, just provide for needs in our community, people who are in hard times. Um, and Lord, I just pray that you'd help, uh, help show us how to do that as well and, and come alongside what you're doing be, and be generous, be a helping hand to people around us. I pray for our services today. I pray that you'd just help us to focus on you, honor you, enjoy time together, and just to, um, to praise your name. In your name I pray, amen. Okay, for those of you that haven't been here before, I'm Leslie Rowe. I'm on staff here at Denton North Church, and we're glad that you've joined us this morning. Um, I have just a couple of things I want to say before we get started on our sermon time today. The first one is that we had a meeting with our small group leaders this morning, and I would just encourage you to thank your small group leader from this year if you haven't done that already. Just the care and concern that they put into their group and into loving the people in their group so well. Um, I just ask you to take some time and thank them for that. But we had a great meeting this morning. Um, our ladies event today. So ladies, I just want to remind you that if you have to pick between events... We want you to pick the swim party and ice cream social. If you can't do both, the priority is the all-church event tonight. And we've communicated that once or twice, but just to make sure you remember that. But if you can do both, we definitely want you to be there uh, with us today. So one night in 1997... A group of about 30 people met together for the specific purpose of confession and prayer. For about two or three hours, they confessed their personal sin to God and to each other. And they prayed for healing for each individual as well as for the collective group. And then they asked God to show them where he was working and how they could join him in that. And out of that meeting was born the DFW Metro family of churches and ultimately the Denton North Church. Our church was born out of confession and prayer. And we've been doing a series on James, and today we're going to be in James chapter 5, and we're going to talk about confession and prayer today. 
So I'm going to read James 5, 13 through 18 to get us started. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Okay, I want to stop there for a second. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Do you think that people that are singing songs of praise and are happy, it's going to be hard to tell that? Like, are they going to be singing with a very solemn-looking face, standing perfectly still, acting like they've had the worst day of their life? Or are they going to be expressive in their worship to the one that they love and the one that they're praising? Just something I want you to think about. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then James goes on to give an example of a righteous person in prayer. Elijah was a human being, even even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Let's pray together. God, I pray that we would be people who love your word. I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to grasp the message that you have for us out of James today. And I pray that we would be doers of the word and not just hearers, that we wouldn't just let it go in one ear and out the other, but that we would respond to you about what you teach us today. I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would speak what each one of us needs to hear, Lord, because only you know what that is. Um, I just pray that your message would be what's heard today and that you would silence anything that is just from me, myself. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I think the first thing that I see in this passage in James is that uh, James is trying to get across to us that prayer is effective. So in those first verses, his concern is not how prayer is effective, but just the fact that it is effective. My dad had a lot of heart issues. He had coronary artery disease, and at one point he needed to have a heart valve replaced. So the doctor called us all into the room to explain to us what that would look like. And so he proceeds to say, we're gonna remove the damaged heart valve and replace it with a bovine valve. And I thought to myself, I thought bovine meant cow. And so then I was like, I I think I need to clarify that with him. And so I said, what do you mean when you say bovine? And he looked at me and he said, I mean cow. So then I was like, I need to verify that. And so I said, you're replacing his heart valve 
with a cow valve? And he said, yes. So then at that point, I'm like, okay, he really is saying what I think he's saying. But what I want to know is, does it work? That's all I'm concerned about. And so my question is, and that works? And he said, not only does it work, it's very effective. That was all I cared about. I didn't care to know how the valve was going to be effective. All I wanted to know is that it was going to be effective. And that is what James is doing here. He's not addressing how prayers are effective. He's just telling us that they are. He specifically mentions that the sick will be made well and sins will be forgiven. So that's something to take note of. Notice that he also does not address why sometimes the sick are not healed. He doesn't tell us that. At least they're not healed in the way we're asking for them to be healed. So that was not his concern here. His concern is just that prayer is effective. So I'm going to go back and read that passage again. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced produced its crops. Get comfortable with that passage because we're going to read it several times this morning. So first of all, prayer is effective. Second, I think we see him say that because prayer is effective, confess your sin and pray for each other so that you can be healed. Confess means identify it. Admit that it is sin. Call it what it is. It's not a mistake. It's not a struggle. It's not an issue. It's a sin. Why do we struggle with calling sin, sin? And why do we struggle with confessing our sin to God and to each other? I think that John chapter 3 tells us it's because we love the darkness. And why do we love the darkness? Because we can hide there. And why do we want to hide? Well, sometimes it's because we want to keep doing what we're doing. We don't want to have to change anything. Sometimes it's just because we don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want people to know what really goes on in our life. However, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful 
and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Walking in the light means seeing things as God sees them. In this case, seeing sin as God sees sin. And when we walk in the light like God, we hate the sin in our lives. And we identify it and call it the ugly thing that it is. But the hope in this verse is what happens next. God is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us because of Jesus. James says we confess to one another and pray to one another so that we may be healed. So if you're not having victory over sin in your life, maybe it's because you haven't confessed and had someone pray over you. If you're sick, maybe you have unconfessed sin in your life. Now, I want to be really careful with that one, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. Just because someone is sick does not mean they have unconfessed sin in their life. It does not go backwards like that. But it is a possibility that we should explore for ourselves It is very dangerous for us to make that determination about anyone else. But we should at least look and see, rule that out at best. Um, And maybe we'll find that we do have unconfessed sin. Like that's not a stretch, you guys. Talk to any counselor and they'll tell you anxiety, depression, take a physical toll on your body. They have physical symptoms that happen. Just even think about maybe when you were a kid and you disobeyed your parents and then you started feeling convicted that what you did was wrong and you feel like you might throw up and you feel like you don't want to eat and you have trouble sleeping. Those are physical symptoms. Yeah, they could be because you're worried about the consequences when you get caught. But part of it is just being convicted that you sinned and you're holding it all inside and not telling anybody. So bringing sin into the light gives us the chance to be healed both spiritually and sometimes physically. It's why we live in community. It's why we need each other. We need each other to be able to confess and to pray for each other. It's effective Again, James doesn't tell us how it's effective. He just says that it is. So here are a couple of things to consider about confession. Be wise and discerning about who you confess to. Unless it's a public sin, you don't have to confess to the entire church. But be wise about who you do confess to. If you just need somebody to pray for you because of a sin, then it's okay to say, I've sinned, I was prideful. You don't have to give the full details of what that looks like, just enough for them to be able to pray over you. But if it's an ongoing sin that you need accountability for, you need to give as much detail as necessary to hold you accountable for it. If you've harmed someone else, You need to confess to that person and ask for their forgiveness. If they don't know about the harm you've done them, so like if it's the fact that you had certain thoughts about them and stuff, you don't need to tell them that. You need to confess to someone else and have them pray for you. 
But if it's something that they know you've been harmed, that they've been harmed by you, then confess and ask for forgiveness. Now, one other thing I want to say about this is that you don't need to go through someone else to confess. So this is not like the idea that I've sinned, so I can't approach God, so I've got to confess to somebody else so they can do that for me. This is simply the idea that we need to bring things to light, we need to pray for one another, and that it's powerful and effective. Okay, so we're going to read that passage again. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And we see that with Jesus quite often where he forgives someone's sin. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So the third thing I see here is that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I think immediately we think of the prayer of a good person is powerful and effective. And if you're like me, my next thought is, I'm not good, so I'm kind of messed up here. Like, how am I going to pray powerful and effective prayers? I'm not righteous. I'm not good. And the, the answer to that is, you're right. You're not. Romans 3.10 tells us that. No one is righteous, not even one. But Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18, 9 through 14 that I think relates to this. And it's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And this is what he says. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers or evildoers or adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified, which means made righteous, before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The prayer of the Pharisee is in stark contrast to the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray. The prayer that Jesus taught his disciples is entirely God-focused. It starts with God's name, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he asks for his kingdom come and his will to be done and then moves on to our daily need for God, our need for bread, for forgiveness, 
for deliverance. But the Pharisee's prayer is entirely me-focused. His prayer is basically, I have no need of anyone or anything because I'm already perfect. I've already got it under control, especially compared to this tax collector. But the tax collector, the tax collector's prayer is reflective of James 4.10, where he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. See, the tax collector knows who God is, and he knows who he is in relationship to God. He knows that his only hope is God's mercy. He shows us so well that our prayers destroy our independence and self-reliance. That's what prayer does. It says, I need God, and I can only do this With God's help, I can't do it on my own. The Pharisee trusts in his own righteousness, but the tax collector trusts in God to make him righteous. Things we do or don't do will not justify us. The ways we succeed where other people fail don't make us any more righteous than they are. It is only Jesus that makes us righteous. So when James says that the, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, it's not because the men and women who pray are great. It's because we have a great God who has called us righteous through the blood of Christ. It's a gift. So our prayers are powerful and effective because we pray as ordinary people that have an extraordinary God. Our prayers, we are righteous and our prayers are powerful and effective because Jesus made us righteous, not for any other reason. So let's go back to that passage again. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So the last thing that I see in this particular passage is that people made righteous by Jesus pray and don't give up. So I want to tell you the context of James using Elijah as an example here. Elijah was a prophet in the time that Ahab was king of Israel. And Ahab was married to Jezebel. So while you may not know who Ahab is, most people know who Jezebel is. Jezebel was a Phoenician princess. She was the daughter of a Sidonian king. And when Ahab married her, He brought her to Israel, and she brought with her the pagan worship of her people. She brought with her specifically the god Baal, 
She opposed the worship of the God of Israel, and she had most of the prophets of God murdered. She neglected the rights and well-being of her subjects. She was a power monger. For Jezebel, it was all about grabbing all the power she could get and proving how powerful, how powerful she was. Ahab and Jezebel together did all kinds of evil, and Scripture even records that they stood out among the other, other evil kings, that they were more evil than any that had come before. She hated Elijah because he wasn't afraid to call her out and question her, and it infuriated her. And so Elijah was always on the run for her. So just to give you one small example of how evil, some of the evil things this couple did, there was a man named Naboth that owned a vineyard, and he had the misfortune of owning his vineyard next to the palace. And so Ahab decided that he wanted this vineyard to grow vegetables on. So he goes and he talks to Naboth, and Naboth is like, I cannot sell you this piece of land. This is my inheritance. And we know from other stories in Scripture how important inheritance is. And so he refused to sell the vineyard to Ahab. So Ahab goes back to the palace. He mopes. He sulks. And Jezebel's like, what is wrong with you? And he's like, I wanted this vineyard, and Naboth won't sell it to me. And she's like, and that's stopping you because you're the king. And so she makes this plan where they have this feast and they seat Naboth in a prominent place and then she plants people around him to make the accusations that he has cursed the king and he has cursed God. And so the people take him out and stone him to death. And then she looks at Ahab and says, go and get your vineyard because nothing's standing in your way now. Now, here's what happens next, and this blows my mind, and it's really kind of a side note to what we're talking about here. But God has Elijah tell Ahab that because of that sin, he's going to bring disaster on him and on his family. And Ahab tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth, and fasts. So basically, he repents. And God chooses to have mercy on him. This evil king who has opposed the worship of the Lord, who has murdered his prophets, who has mistreated his people, killed his people, when he repented, God had mercy on him. God is consistently merciful between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I want you to see that all throughout Scripture, God is a God of mercy, and we see it here. So God had Elijah pray for a drought on the land, which this comes down to our passage in James. And he had him do that to punish Ahab and Jezebel so they would abolish the idol worship and the people would turn back to God. That was the goal of the drought was idol worship would be abolished and the people would turn back to God. During the drought, God takes care of Elijah. He gives him water from a brook and he has ravens bring him bread and meat. And when the brook dries up, 
he provides a widow that gives him a place to stay and provides food for him through that time. And Elijah, in return, blesses her. And then there, bec- there comes a contest with the 450 prophets of Baal, where God proves that he is God and the people turn back to him. It's in 1 Kings 18, and if you haven't read it, you need to read it. It is action-packed, it is dramatic, it is amazing. And so you need to read it. Um, And the whole story of Elijah is, honestly. So you should read the whole story of Elijah. But because the goal of the drought was to abolish the idolatry and for the people to turn back to God, now that's happened so the drought can end. And I'm going to start reading in 1 Kings 18, 41 through 45 for the rest of the story. And Elijah said to Abraham, said to Ahab, sorry, I don't know why I always want to say Abraham instead of Ahab. Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So there's the sound of the end of this drought. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Okay, so I want you to to think about that. He bent down to the ground, and he put his face between his knees, which I can't even do. He humbled himself before God to pray to him and ask him to send rain. It is a posture of humility. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing here, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, And go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. So Elijah prays in faith that God is going to send rain to break this three and a half year drought. And seven times he has his servant go back and look because nothing is happening. But what does Elijah do? He keeps praying. He doesn't stop. He doesn't give up. And on that seventh time, his prayer is answered. The courage that Elijah had to stand up to Ahab and Jezebel And the courage that he had to face those 450 prophets of Baal. And the courage that he had to continue praying when it looked hopeless. Came from knowing God. And having intimate fellowship with him. Our prayers are powerful and effective. And we can continue praying without giving up. Because like Elijah, we know intimately the living God. We know his character, we know his power, we know his wisdom, and righteous people, people that have been made right with God by the blood of Jesus, pray with intense conviction. 
there was a man named George Mueller who was an ordinary man, just like James described um, Elijah. He lived in England and he built orphanages beginning in 1836. He never asked for money from people. Listen to this. He never asked for money from people or told him the needs that they had. He told only God in prayer what he needed. And he did this because he wanted people to have an example that our God provides and that that is real. That's not imaginary. It's not made up. Our God is powerful and he's a provider. He would send out a letter at the end of every year and tell the needs that God had met at the orphanage through prayer. And here's an example of that. And I'm going to read, this is like a, um, a clip out of a book that I'm going to read to you. The children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat, the house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and they waited. George knew God would provide food for the children because he always had. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning, so I got up and baked three batches for you. Let me bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. How convenient. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk, and George just smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for 300 thirsty children. These answers to prayer are recorded in numerous places. These have been um, verified. They are part of history. They're not just made-up stories. And he was an ordinary man just like Elijah and just like us. He prayed powerful and effective prayers because he was a spiritual giant. No, that's not true. He prayed powerful and effective prayers because he knew God intimately. He knew what the Lord's will was. He prayed and didn't give up. He knew where the power was. It was in our God. The people who met that night in 1997 and prayed powerful and effective prayers to a powerful God have seen five churches planted in our community, have seen ministries planted on numerous um, college campuses throughout the community, not because they were anything great, but because our God is someone great. So people that have been made right by Jesus pray powerful and effective prayers and don't give up. In summary, prayer is effective. That's the first thing. Prayer is effective. And because of that, we're to confess our sins to one another and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, but not because we make ourselves righteous, 
because Jesus makes us righteous. We can pray and not give up because we know our powerful God. Jessica? Um, that was from a, um, I'm trying to think. I'll have to look up my resource on that because I can't remember exactly where I pulled that from. Yeah, I just can't remember. I'll have to let you know. Any other questions? Okay. Some of those things that we talked about today can be confusing and can be difficult. And so if you have questions, don't hesitate to come and ask them. If you don't have my phone number, somebody you know does, so get it from them and feel free to text or call. We can set up time, um, but I'm happy to talk through some of that with you um, again. So this part of the service, I have put in and taken out and put in and taken out several times, but ultimately I decided that this was something that I thought God wanted us to do. So my question to you is, when is the last time you confessed sin? Do you have anything that needs to be brought into the light? My hesitation with this is I don't want anyone to feel forced or coerced into doing something. However, I do want to start the process of confession becoming a normal thing among us. And I will encourage you to get out of your comfort zone. So I have a song that I've asked the sound team to play. And first of all, I want you to let the words speak truth to you. And secondly, I want you to write down, put in your phone, however you want to do it, any unconfessed sin that you want to bring into the light. It doesn't have to be detailed. You don't have to give a whole account of everything that happened, um, but just enough for someone to pray for you. And then if you want to, go and share that with someone else in the room and have them pray for you. Don't feel any pressure to do that. Maybe you've confessed sin consistently and you don't have a need to do that this morning. That's okay. Maybe you need time to decide um, who you want to confess to, and that's okay too. There's no judgment and no pressure, but it is an opportunity and it is a space to do that. So we're gonna play this song and I'm gonna ask you to do that and then I'll end us with a prayer after that. We pray, God, that we would be bold to confess to one another and to pray for each other. And we just thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for his blood making us right with you. We thank you for our salvation. And I just pray that as we go throughout our week, Lord, um, that we'll speak good news to people and to ourselves, uh, that we'll remind ourselves of the good news of um, our sins being forgiven. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. 
And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.